0: the 94 Feet Report. I'm your host as always Eric Spiropoulos and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. This is the 94 Feet Report basketball podcast on the 16 Windsor Ring podcast network. Um, I'm an NBA writer for 16 Windsor Ring. Of course I host the podcast there and I'm the Rockets beat for Hoops Habit. Um, This podcast is brought to you as always by Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94feet at checkout for 30% off your first subscription. And in today's episode we'll be joined once again, by Duncan Smith, the editor of Piston Powered on Fansided, and also the editor uh, at 16 Windsoring and um, someone you should be checking out on Twitter for his great breakdowns on both Piston's content and NBA content as well. Um, we'll be joined by Duncan in a little bit to talk uh, about the uh, playoff races in both the Eastern and Western Conferences for the seed. We'll of course go through our awards race frontrunners and updates for that, and then we'll do a uh, rapid fire questions at the end. So stay tuned, we'll be joined by Duncan in just a little bit. All right, and we are now joined by Duncan Smith of Piston Powered and 16 Windsor Ring. Duncan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Eric. How about yourself?
0: Doing pretty well, pretty well. Can't complain yet. Uh, So, what we're going to talk about today, uh, we're going to talk about the battles for the ace seeds in both conferences, who we think will get it, who we want to see get the uh, ace seed, and hopefully not get demolished by both one seeds, but we can't count that out. Um, Then we'll talk about the award races, because something that um, I like to do whenever I have a guest on the show is get their opinion on on most of the award races. Um, It's interesting to see who has what um, for what award. And then we're going to end with a kind of a rapid fire question segment at the end. With that being said, let's get into kind of analyzing and predicting the battles for the A seeds in both conferences because they're pretty interesting, um, I would say, especially in the Western Conference, but the Eastern Conference is interesting as well. Um, just looking at the standings. Right now in the East, we've got the Pistons at the A seed, a game and a half ahead of both the Heat and the Bucks, um, and then three games ahead of the Hornets, and then you can pretty much count out the Knicks because they're the Knicks. Um, And the Bulls are a game ahead of the Pistons at 7. So that's a pretty interesting race. And then looking at the Western Conference, you've got the Nuggets with the A-seed. They are a game and a half ahead of Portland, uh, two games ahead of the Mavericks, and then three games ahead of both the Kings and the Wolves, um, and then three and a half games ahead of the Pelicans, who, of course, just got the Marcus Cousins. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you first, let's start in the Eastern Conference. Who do you believe will end up uh, as the A-seed at the end of the regular season and why?
1: I think it's going to be the Chicago Bulls. I think that they're going to they've they've been able to tread water recently, but I think that they're they're going to sink a little bit harder. I I wouldn't I wouldn't expect them to fall out of the playoff picture completely, uh, but I think that they're moving down.
0: Yeah, I would agree and I think that yeah, as you said, I wouldn't expect them to fall out of the playoff picture kind of just because of the sheer brilliance of, of Jimmy Butler. You know, when you have a player of his caliber, They can single-handedly carry teams. You know, Harden basically did that with the Rockets last year. Um, When you have that kind of player and, you know, somewhat of a mediocre talent around them, you're probably just going to, you know, survive in the playoff race. And, uh, you know, I agree with you because, as I mentioned, the Bulls are only one game ahead of the Pistons. Um, you know, Obviously, going into the season, I was a lot higher on the Pistons. They've been pretty disappointing, and I'm going to ask you in a little bit about the Pistons themselves because I know you've been doing a lot of breakdowns on Twitter and obviously um, are really knowledgeable about the Pistons. So, you know, I would expect the Pistons to jump the Bulls because of that one-game difference. Um, you know, I'm not sure if they would catch the Pacers at 6, but they are only two games behind the Pacers for 6. So, you know, that, that is pa- uh, plausible for the Pistons to go all the way to 6. Um, but I do agree that I think the Bulls will drop to eighth. And, you know, as much as I would love to see the Heat get the AC because, I, you know, I love how Spolstra has his guys playing hard. I mean, you know, them being 29 and 34 with this roster, um, especially starting off like 11 and 30, I'm pretty sure, was is just incredible and just such a great job by Spolstra that, he, you know, he's seriously in the, in the running for coach of the year, even though they're not even in the playoff, you know, picture right at this moment. But I'd agree with you that I think that it'll be the Bulls finishing at 8th with the Pistons jumping them a spot. Um, moving to the West, who do you think will end up as the a seed and, and get the the real slaughter by the Warriors?
1: I think it's going to be the Nuggets. I think that the status quo is going to hold. That's kind of what I'm hoping for, actually. I think that uh, a Nuggets Warriors first round series would it would be a, a bloodbath, like you said. But I think there'd be a lot of points scored, and I think that uh, I think that Jokic could uh, could do some interesting things against the Warriors.
0: Yeah, I mean. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, I really would like for it to be the Nuggets because, one, I think everyone needs to see Jokic in the playoffs. There's still a lot of casual fans who really don't appreciate how great he's been this season and, you know, just his skill set. So I think him playing in the playoffs, especially against the Warriors, which obviously gets a lot of ratings, would open, you know, a couple of – a lot of casual fans up to Jokic's play. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the the, the Nuggets-Warriors games. They've been really entertaining. Um, you know, that Nuggets beat them comfortably a couple weeks ago when they set their – well, That then set the record for three-pointers in a game, and then the Cavs obviously just broke it uh, last week. Um, But the games have been fun, even the two games that the Nuggets lost to them early in the season, they were pretty close, um, especially because they were in Golden State, and, you know, uh, the Nuggets and and Warriors would be a lot of points, um, they'd be really high scoring, a lot of pretty fast pace, so it'd be, you know, it's an interesting series, and I think a lot of casual fans would really enjoy watching that series, which is why I'm rooting for the, the Nuggets. And I'm kind of torn on this in terms of who I think will get it. Uh, maybe it's kind of a kind of a recency kind of bias, but you know I think that Dallas really is one of those teams that like I might be relying on past you know Nowitzki and Carlisle performances of how they've gotten pretty me- mediocre teams to the playoffs. That's why I, I might think that it could be Dallas. But I don't know. Something about watching them last night it seems like they have figured things out. Seth Curry's has emerged. Um, they obviously added Nerlens Noel. I feel like they've figured it out that it's time for them to strike to get the a seed. Um, and I haven't really looked at the schedules for both teams, but I think that um, someone, and I can't remember who, maybe Hardwood Proxys and Matt Moore might have tweeted out that the Mavericks schedule is a little bit easier than the Nuggets down the stretch, but not a huge difference maker. Um, but I, th- I'm, I think right now I'm going to go with Dallas, even though I really would like it for be, to be the Nuggets. Um, you know, Do you think that Dallas has a better chance than, say, Portland?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't trust Portland at all. Uh, I think you know Dame and CJ are fun and everything, but uh, their their defense is uh, poor uh, <laughs> just to say the least. Um, I think Evan Turner is still battling an injury. I'm not sure when he's back. Um, you know, not that Evan Turner is a huge different difference maker, but you need all the healthy bodies you can get if you're going to make a playoff run. Um, I think, like you said, the Mavs have uh, Carlisle and Dirk. And they've also got a rising young star in uh, in Seth Curry, uh, who I really wanted the Pistons to go after this past summer. But uh, you know, I guess things worked out for both teams, and that the Mavs can feature feature Curry and the Pistons. Got your Smith, who's been working out pretty well. Um, I think that if the Mavs or the Trailblazers were to make a run at that eight seed, I think it would be the Mavs, uh, a decent. A decent percentage more likely than the Blazers to be able to make a run for that eight seed. I think that the, the Mavericks are going to have a, a bit of a, a hill to climb. They're still two games back, which, you know, with 20 games left, that's starting to actually mean something. Um, so they, they have gained one game in the standings in the last 10, it looks like. So by that pace, you know, maybe we've got a race down the stretch. Um, but I think they have the work cut out for them because uh, I think the Nuggets should be able to at least sort of tread water. I, again, I'm not entirely sure what the schedule looks like for other teams, but um, I, I'd have to figure that they're fairly similar schedule-wise as to what's left. So uh, the Nuggets would be my team A, and my the Mavs would be slightly behind it, and the Blazers would be a pretty decent amount behind that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, especially about the Mavericks having a better chance than the Blazers. Um, I just looked it up. Uh, since February 1st, the Mavericks have the fifth-best defense in the league, um so that's a big reason why they've you know been improved they're eight and six over those fourteen games um which is probably the reason why i I would trust them over the blazers just defense defensively they're a lot better than portland um and then offensively they can they can figure things out enough um you know during that stretch since february 1st they've had the 17th best offense so pretty much league average offensively and, and really good defensively which is kind of a pretty good recipe to uh make the playoffs but you know even though I'm picking the Mavericks, I, I totally see the path for the Nuggets to basically tread water and outscore teams enough to get to the playoffs. And then, you know, hopefully that leads to a really, really entertaining um, first round series with the Warriors. Um, so going back to the Eastern Conference, you mentioned that the Nuggets would be the team you want to see in the A-seed for the Eastern Conference. Is there a different team you'd, you'd want to see in the A-seed for the Eastern Conference instead of the Bulls who you think will end up as the A-seed?
1: Personally, um, again, I'm biased, but I would be pretty happy to see the Bulls get eight and the Pistons get six or seven. Um, you know, I I have been under the impression most of the season that if the Pistons get things together, which it looks like they have, the only team that is a, like basically a lock to beat the Pistons is the Cavs. I, I still think that if the Pistons get things together this season, um, that their season will not end until they run into the Cavs. I think that Um, A good clicking Pistons team, if that even exists on this roster right now, uh, is going to be a a really tough out for any non-LeBron James team in the East. Uh, I'd like to see the Pistons get probably the 7th seed. Yeah.
0: Um, speaking about the Pistons, you know, I mean, we know, I've seen all your breakdowns on Twitter. They're really good. If you haven't checked them out, everyone should go on Duncan's Twitter. And they're a really good breakdowns on a lot of different situations with the Pistons. You know, my question, I guess, is, you know, what is up with the Pistons? You said they recently figured it out. Um, they're 6-4 and four in the last 10. Um, they were really struggling early on in the season. and this, this was a team that I picked would comfortably make the playoffs. I think I had them as a, like a fifth seed when I did my preseason predictions. Um, I guess... My question is kind of what what has been up with the Pistons this year, and you know, kind of a sub question is can Drummond and, and Reggie Jackson kind of work for the future, being that being those two centerpieces of the core for the future?
1: Uh, well, first off, I wouldn't say that the Pistons have figured it out exactly. Uh, there are some pretty significant issues along along the lines of like you know, their their two best players also have their significantly by a, a significant margin the two worst net ratings on the team. Um, Reggie Jackson has been a net rating crater for the most part since he came back and Andre Drummond has been improving uh, pretty healthily but um, I think a lot of that has been due to the fact that he's been playing with Ish Smith rather than Reggie Jackson because Jackson's minutes have, have dropped um, I think that's a good thing right now, I think that what needs to happen with Reggie Jackson is he needs to pretty much play shorter shorter stretches of, of game time at it. I think, uh, yeah, I'm looking back here against uh, the Sixers, and I think he played about 23 minutes. And I believe that Stan Van Gundy was making a concerted effort to play both Jackson and Smith in roughly six-minute stretches. Uh, I think that a big problem with Jackson over the course of his career has been been his stamina, and I think that comes from uh, some issues with asthma that he's had throughout his career. Uh, So, you know, if a guy knows that he's got to play 30 minutes, 30, 34 minutes, say, um, and he does have these stamina issues, it might make sense for him to coast early in games and try and conserve that energy for later. And what what you're finding with the Pistons is that they're getting off to dreadful starts in the first quarter. I think they're a bottom five team uh, since the beginning of December in first quarter net rating. And that's pretty consistent with a, a guy who's got the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, coasting, trying to conserve energy. So if you've got Jackson and Smith switching halfway through the first quarter, you've got a point guard in in Jackson who can go hard for six minutes knowing that he's going to have the rest of that quarter and then the quarter break before he's going to get back in there. Um, And as a result, uh, Reggie played pretty damn well against the Sixers on, uh, I think it was Saturday they played. Um, Now, you know, it was the Sixers, and it was... It was not exactly a peak Sixers team or a peak <laughs> Sixers effort, but you know there are times when I'm not sure this this Pistons team could score 136 points in an open gym. So um, I think that there are certain things that are coming together. Uh, Stan Van Gundy has given the bench uh, a bigger bigger burden over the last six or seven weeks. And I posted a couple things in one of my breakdowns, um, some screenshots of three, four, and five-man units. And for the month of February, the top three-man unit in the NBA was Ish Smith, Tobias Harris, and Stanley Johnson. Um, Mm -hmm. Ish Smith was featured in four, I believe, of the top 17 three-man units. Stanley was in three of them. And then various combinations of uh, Tobias Harris and Aaron Maines of all people, Uh, filled that out so basically that's just an indication that uh, the bench was running wild over teams and uh, that really stemmed from Pistons defense and uh, responsible rebounding on the defensive end and then turning the ball around and getting fast break opportunities pretty much every chance they get Um, that's one thing that Ish Smith does really well that Reggie Jackson has just really not had any any knack for Uh, Reggie tries to operate in the half court whereas Ish Smith he knows he's not a half-court point guard, so he tries to get out and transition every single chance they get. So, ball comes off the rim, that team runs when when itches on the floor. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of the good things that the Pistons have been doing for the last 15 to 20 games have come directly from uh, solid defense and an ability to get down the court and get defenses on their heels. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so, you know, judging my final question, this is a really short question about the Pistons. Just judging by their recent stretch of, you know, 10 to 15 games, I mentioned there are two games behind the Pacers. Do you think that they can catch Indiana for the sixth seed?
1: Actually, the next two games that the Pistons play are against the Bulls tonight and then the Pacers on uh, Wednesday, I think. Um, So, while, you know, if they go 0 2 in these next two games and fall right out of eighth, I'm going to change this answer. But right now, Mm I'm, I would say that it's more likely to me that the Pistons finish in the sixth than it is that they miss the playoffs entirely. Yeah, I that's I mean, where I'm at with them right now.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, the Bulls are really hit or miss, five and five in the last ten, and the Pacers are three and seven in the last ten. And you know, uh, both the Pacers, I, none of the teams can really consistently win on the road. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those games play out, and probably that those games will do a, a big job of you know dictating the playoff seeding moving forward. Um, Let's move on to our next little talking point of award races. Um, we'll just dive into the awards and who you have as your front runners and why, and other possible contenders you, what you're considering at the time. Um, my first question is about Rookie of the Year. So obviously we know Embiid out for the year, played 31 minutes. We hear about his lack of playing time, blah blah blah. Um, would you still give Rookie of the Year to Embiid?
1: I think since nobody else has really stood out in the Rookie of the Year race, like brogdon has been great. Um, you know, he's he's been solid, but you know nobody else has really, really made a a real run for that other than Embiid. Uh, I think he's only played 31 games this year, and there will be no more games left for him to play this season. But because there's been no other no other viable alternative, I think that Embiid is still the rookie of the year. Uh, I I kind of feel a little bit off about giving it to him because you know he's played just over one third of the season, but he's been so dynamic for a pretty bad Sixers team, um, that has been on the floor for most of the season. I, I think that, uh, I think, I think Nate Duncan actually expressed it best in that, like, usually rookies don't contribute to winning. Um, usually it's quite the opposite. You know, it's, it's the rookie that does the least damage in the most minutes that you might want to give the, the rookie of the year award to, but, um, Embiid has had a historic impact on, on the Sixers winning games and uh, I, I think that because of that I think that you really can't look any further than giving it to Embiid right now
0: yeah, that's the my, that's my thing. Either. The two aspects that I kind of consider when thinking about Rookie of the Year are you know, the other candidates, being a Saric, a Brogdon. Um, and they've been solid, but they haven't just, you know, captured. They haven't really, you know, wowed people, um, especially. And then you look at the other aspect, you know, when MB did play, he didn't play, you know, kind of just barely above average. He was a really, really good player. High usage, pretty good efficiency for that kind of usage. Um, great stats led to winning pretty sure there was like a, a stat like when he played they were like the number one defense in the league and then when he didn't play they were like 28th or something um so the fact that he was just so dynamic and, and so effective um and really just so good and, and contributing to winning when he was actually playing that although he only played in 31 games um just the fact that he separated himself so much from the other candidates um just i have to give it to mb and you know you have to trust the process and give it to him but uh it's really down to uh you know the other candidates not being you know necessarily worthy enough and then just how good Embiid was when he actually played um, moving to coach of the year um, you know, they've recently um, I think since we last spoke we last spoke I think on January and you know at that time it looked like a really comfortable D'Antoni win for coach of the year over these last two months you know there have been a lot more candidates entering the race the Rockets have slipped a little bit um, is, do you still have D'Antoni for coach of the year or has a new candidate kind of emerged in your eyes
1: uh, yeah, I've still got D'Antoni as Coach of the Year. I think the Spolsters made a major run for it, but I also don't think the Heat are going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me as to like, how many coaches have won Coach of the Year without making the playoffs, but I, I've got to think that there's probably some sort of cutoff point as to um, how low in the standings you go before you, you start giving coaches who miss the playoffs postseason awards. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that that would be sort of like a, uh, a requirement for me before I, I seriously consider a coach for, for Coach of the Year. Uh, if Spolstra manages to get that team into the playoffs, uh, we've got a whole different ballgame. But uh, as things stand right now, I think it's still Anthony, with, uh, with Spolstra being a deserved, uh, honorable mention.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I still have D'Antoni as well. And I I agree with you that if Spoelstra gets the heat to the playoffs, it's going to be a really, really um, interesting discussion and an interesting voter breakdown as well. Uh, Because that'd be an incredible accomplishment with that roster and and not only that roster, but the way they started the season. yeah, I have D'Antoni, and I think I'd mention, I would put Brad Stevens and Scott Brooks as other kind of honorable mentions fighting for that the, the other spots in the top three, top five. Um, I'd also consider Quinn Snyder, just naming off names right now. And, you know, of course, Popovich is always on that list too. So, um, But right now I still have D'Antoni with a comfortable lead um, barring the Spolster getting the heat to the playoffs, and that would significantly change the race in my opinion. Um, but Coach of the Year going to D'Antoni um, – is going to be something that I'm going to talk about at the end when we get to MVP, and I think that both him and Six Man of the Year will, will influence MVP voting. But before we get to that, let's get to Most Improved. Who um, I think it still will be Giannis because just the, the the jump in stats that he's done, and you know even though the Bucks have slipped since the last time we spoke, they're actually you know six and four in the last ten. They're kind of back to fighting for the playoff spot right now. Um, you know, I, I want to throw in Jokic as a, as a kind of a second-place runner-up. Um, of course, there was Zach Levine and Jabari Parker before they went down with their injuries. And then, of course, Otto Porter could you know, round out the top three. But right now, I've still got Giannis, Jokic, and then Porter in that kind of order. Um, do you agree with that order? Or do you have any other candidates that I probably forgot?
1: Uh, I think you're pretty close to right on, actually. Um, I'm looking at, at Jokic's per-36 numbers, and uh, they're pretty remarkable in, in comparison to last season. Um, especially when you look at like his his shooting numbers, his uh, his true shooting percentage is sixty four point two percent, and that is uh, I mean you know a center who can shoot free throws and can shoot threes should have a, a nice true shooting percentage, but this number is pretty outrageous. Yeah, uh, he's got a twenty six point three per. Um, man, if it wasn't for Giannis having the uh, the ridiculous season that he's had, uh, I think that you could give it to Jokic pretty pretty comfortably. But you know, I think Giannis is maybe a top ten player this year, top fifteen probably at the at the most extreme. Um, yeah, I I think it's got to be Giannis. But I wish that there was something we could give Jokic too.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I was really hoping for. You, know, it's like Jokic it will be overshadowed because of Giannis, but I mean the run that Jokic has had over the past couple of months. I think the Nuggets had the second best offense since he was basically established and, and inserted into the starting lineup. You know, they haven't been good defensively, but you know who cares? For most improved player of the year, anyways, he's just really fun to watch. A lot of skill, yeah, a lot of dynamics. What a dynamic skill set! But. I, I just think that the jump that Giannis has made, the whole narrative, you know, a lot of um, ESPN's been hyping him up a lot compared to Jokic, and I think that Giannis, you know, deserves it, of course, but I, I do wish there was some kind of recognition for Jokic besides basically finishing in second to most improved player of the year. Um, uh, move to sixth man of the year because it, the, the race got pretty interesting, actually. Um, before, you know, when we last spoke, it was Eric Gordon comfortably and fighting with against Lou Williams, Zach Randolph, you know, the, you know, Jamal Crawford's always there. But now Lou Williams is on the Rockets, and um, the interest. Basically, the question now about six man of the year is, you know, it's it's pretty, it's almost guaranteed to come from Houston. But you know, which player would you give the award to this season?
1: I, I think Eric Gordon is still probably the front runner. Um, I don't know if uh, I'm actually bringing up his numbers here, just so I can I can check myself. It's actually interesting that um, by and large. Gordon's had a very similar season this year to the season he had last year. He's shooting threes at a slightly higher volume, and he's got a slightly higher shooting percentage, but he's been more or less the same player as he was last year in New Orleans. Uh, But, you know, that's exactly what the Rockets needed. Uh, So, that said, I think it's still Gordon, um, with Lou Williams, like, a close second. Uh, I wonder, though, if if they might be splitting votes from each other a little bit. Yeah. It does
0: kind of um, seem like the uh, Durant-Curry argument for MVP when the when the year started and, and throughout the season that they would take votes from each other and I think that, that could happen here as well.
1: Yeah, and if that's the case, uh, there might be a Dark Horse candidate. I don't think there's any chance he, he will win, but he probably deserves a look and that's Tobias Harris, who has... He started 38 games so far this season, but he's... Since uh, the middle of December, he's come off the bench 24 times. Um, he's put up some some pretty under the radar uh but remarkable numbers for the pistons as a as a reserve uh, he's playing the best basketball of his career so again it's going to be lou williams or uh, or eric gordon probably gordon by a, a small margin but tobias Harris should get some votes
0: yeah i think that was mark stein who actually had him as the second trimester six man of the year um and his espn kind of Uh, weekend race updates Um, and that that actually pointed it out you know I I, you know I wasn't exactly following Harris closely but once I read that Stein article I looked back and went back and Harris has been playing some really good basketball but I do have to agree with you I think it's just going to come from Houston and I agree that It it still I still probably have Gordon just because for the majority of the season he was the front runner so now I just feel like just adding Lou Williams doesn't make Lou Williams the front runner because he's on the Rockets now that they're a winning team so um, you know the argument over Gordon against Williams earlier in the season when Williams was on the Lakers is that Gordon is helping to winning more and now people are saying that Williams is on the rocket so you can just justify giving it to him because now he's on the winning team too um, but I have to go with kind of the majority of the season with Gordon being the front runner. Um, he was slumping over the past two months which you know kind of narrowed the race but he's somewhat you know gotten back to life um, and so I think that I would still give it to him and I think he's very deserving it would really complete a nice kind of uh, comeback year for him after all the injuries you know three point champion six man of the year winning team etc just
1: another one of the uh, the redemption storylines for the Rockets team with Harden and Anthony and Maury even Um, I think uh, yeah it would be a nice cap to the season no matter what happens in the playoffs yeah
0: it would um Alright, so Defensive Player of the Year, I think is a pretty interesting race too, um, at least for the top two. Um, You know, I'm kind of cheating here because I'm kind of fine with either Draymond Green or Rudy Gobert. Um, You know, Golden State has the slightly better defense, and Draymond is obviously a more versatile defender guarding more positions. Um, But I have to give credit to Gobert, who, you know, the Jazz still have the third best defense, um, and they've had a lot of injuries to a lot of key players. Derek Favors, George Hill, Rodney Hood, the list goes on and on. For them to still be this good defensively I give a lot of credit to Gobert whose defensive numbers are incredible and he kind of fits that traditional mold of a a really good defensive big man which the award usually goes to Um, and you know Kawhi Leonard's always in the race and a lot of people just assume to put him in there and vote for him as well just because of reputation but I don't think this is your this is this year is his year due to um, the play of Draymond Green his versatility and then you know how good Gobert has been um and he's opened up a lot of eyes so you know I'm kind of cheating I guess I would go with Draymond because Golden State has a little bit better defense and he's more versatile. Um, but uh, who do you have for defensive player of the year right now?
1: Um, I'm leading. I'm leading Gobert right now by uh, by a hair. Uh, I think it's pretty close. Uh, I'm looking actually at their on off numbers respectively, and they're defensively they're fairly similar. Uh, Draymond when he's off the floor, the Warriors are giving up 104.4 points per 100 possessions. When he's on the floor, they're giving up 99.8 points per 100 possessions. And then you've got Gobert, who's giving up uh, 99.5 points when he's on. And the Jazz are giving up 107.3 when he's off. So using using that as a metric, there's a small, small gap in Gobert's favor. Um, so I think I'm more comfortable with Gobert winning it, but I wouldn't have a problem with Draymond getting uh, Defensive Player of the Year. I do think that it should be Gobert by a small margin, though.
0: Yeah, I've, had, I've pretty much had Gobert basically every time I've done an awards update. Um, and, you know, that is that is actually something I didn't look at recently. I, I looked at it last time I did this, um, I think a month or two ago. Um, and so that's a pretty telling stat for Gobert. Um, and the other thing with Draymond, is, you know, he had – it'll be interesting over the next 20 games how he does and how the team does defensively now without Kevin Durant, who's been a much, much improved defensive player this year. Um, you know not having Kevin Durant next to Draymond puts more pressure on Draymond um, you know they have Matt Barnes but Matt Barnes is 36 and is not you know the level of, of a defender Kevin Durant is at this point um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how Draymond and the team do defensively now without Kevin Durant and that could change the race over the final 20 or so games of the year but you know I'm fine with either Draymond or Gobert you know I did have Gobert as the front runner for basically the entire year and you kind of maybe just talked me back into him so I'm going to go back with Gobert right now <laughs>
1: get your decision (laughs) and (laughs) happy exactly
0: Um, let's move to an award that some people don't usually talk about but it's something that I want to talk about because I think there should be changes to the executive of the year award Um, and I actually I'm not going to take credit for this idea I saw it somewhere on Twitter I don't remember who said it but I do remember seeing it somewhere on Twitter and someone basically said that this this award should not be given out every year, but rather, you know, the person when he said it said every five years. I'm going to go to every two or three years because, you know, the league will want to uh, reward GMs on a more consistent basis than every five years. Um, but I do think that this is an award that really should be given out every two to three years because what a GM does, you really can't or shouldn't evaluate within a nine to 10 month span of from basically signing the players in free agency to the end of the regular season. Um, something I like to see... Them, you know, take the time to really truly evaluate what the GM did in, you know, long-lasting moves such as drafting, um, maybe a trade that didn't look good at first but turned out to be a difference maker, blah, 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 etc., etc. But either – regardless of how I think the the award should be changed, I think – listen, I'm biased. I mean I think Daryl Morey is finally deserving of winning one of these. Again, I don't think he will because – uh, if I remember off the top of my head, um, I looked back, uh, I think a, a couple months ago, I actually looked back at the award, at the voting breakdown for each award for like the past five years since he traded for James Harden. And I think one time more, he finished in the top five of voting. And I think it was the year after he traded for Harden and signed Dwight Howard. So I think he finished third that year. And every other year he's been outside the top five. So I don't think he'll get it because I don't know what the issue is, maybe because he's not exactly, you know... He, he comes off as a little, maybe not with the right attitude, I guess, that the voters would like um, or something something else. But uh, I don't think he'll get it. But, listen, my bias is probably playing into this. I think Maury is deserving, certainly. So who other uh, – do you have Maury as your front runner, or do you have another executive that's done a really good job this year?
1: Um, I think Maury is definitely – I think – I don't know if he's a front runner per se. Um, I think he should definitely have like top two consideration though. Uh, I think that David Griffin from the Cavs might be right there uh, he just about every year he's able to turn more or less nothing into some pretty talented players and I know a lot of that comes from having LeBron uh, you know they they probably don't have this kind of flexibility if LeBron is born in like Kentucky or something a <laughs> couple couple hours south or a couple hours north in Michigan and uh, not born like right in Akron um so I mean he's got he's got some good fortune on his side, but it also takes it takes good fortune. And I think the Griffin has shown a lot of flexibility and creativity with not a whole lot of of room to operate. Um, so I'd say that those two are my my top two guys. Uh, probably, I mean it might it might depend on the day, uh, like yeah. on my specific mood that day, <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, I I think that a case can be made for either one of them. Like, a very valid case can be made for either one of them. I personally would love to see Maury win it. Um, I think he's deserving of any kind of credit he can get through his way. I think he's one of the most innovative uh, GMs in the game today. And uh, I think think recognition for that is definitely deserving. I also agree that there should be... uh, Consideration of not just this season, but previous seasons as well, when we look at what a, uh, a GM's candidacy for this award is. Uh, I don't think that it needs to only be given out every two or three years. but I think more accurately what it should be doing is when it's given out annually, it should be looking back at three years ago. So, say the award for 2018 should be given for the season, like the 2015 season, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we can we can have an annual an annual event, but. Um, it's looking back at the at the window from say three years ago, yeah. two or three years, maybe even five. I think five might be a little excessive because some players can, uh, some cores can look really good for two seasons and then flame out, and uh, five might be a little bit too wide of a scope to look at. But I think two or three years is a pretty decent. Uh, pretty decent area to get a, an idea of uh, GM's ability and whether it's just a flash in the pan kind of situation or whether uh, GM has actually constructed a, a core wisely. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that a window of, of a couple years is probably good, but they should still give it annually.
0: Yeah, I can see that happening. It's certainly, certainly, there's no way the voters truly, truly consider the past, uh, past couple of years when they give out the award most, most of the time. And you know, I think that if you're talking about giving out the award and considering the past three to five years, in that case, you know, I think Maury should have won it. Probably the year or two after, you know, the year he finished, I think, third or something or, or fourth. He probably should have won it that year if you if you're if you were going off what you would want and that voters consider the past three to five years. Because, you know, what more did of, you know, transitioning from that, you know, Tracy McGrady, Yao Ming era, um, having a, a few years that are kind of on the bubble, but always finishing above 500 and then, you know, building a really, really good team, a Western Conference Finals team, without ever tanking or ever getting a top pick, um, I think is extremely impressive and you know something that's very, very rarely done nowadays. Um, again, this is talking about a couple of years ago, so he, he, I think he could have been deserving then, but of course they don't really truly consider the past couple of years when when giving out the award, but it'll be interesting to see. I agree with you on, on David Griffin being right up there, and I think he'll probably will win it, um, but I think Maury will probably finish in the top for your top 5 just because of the whole narrative surrounding the Rockets will just you know kind of bleed into his candidacy. Um all right, let's get to the the most interesting, probably the most controversial award race of the season and probably one of the most controversial and interesting MVP races, you know, in recent memory, especially coming off last year's kind of unanimous when Steph Curry pretty much had it locked up by like January or February. Um So I'm going to to say right now I have James Harden, and that's not a surprise to anyone who follows me on Twitter or listens to the podcast. I always have had Harden for the entire year. Um, But my other top four have kind of changed their order. I now have Kawhi Leonard at two, and I really just can't ignore it anymore. The numbers he's putting up are really good. They're not as flashy as what Harden or Westbrook are putting up, but the Spurs are winning their, what, two games out of the the first seed? Two and a half, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, two and a half. So, first of all, if they win, if they get the first seat, I, th- I think you just have to give it to Leonard. Just I think that's would be an incredible accomplishment. Um, but Leonard on both ends of the floor. I know it's kind of a tacky thing to say. He's you know he's great on both ends, but he really is. Um, and he's just he's embraced a new leadership role without Duncan. Um, embraced a new offensive role, especially with Lamarcus Aldridge struggling and Tony Parker being a, a complete shell of himself and Ginobili as well. Um, so I have to, I have quiet too, you know, and then I have Russ, and you know maybe I'm being a little bit too influenced by the numbers, but you know I think I could totally put LeBron at three and at Russ at four, but I'll, I'll stick with Russ at three right now, and then LeBron as a, as a close four. You know, fifth is now tough because previously I would have had Kevin Durant. Um, he's obviously he's injured now, and I'm gonna throw him out of the race. You could have you know Steph Curry. Um, I don't really consider Isaiah Thomas a serious MVP candidate, though I don't know if being fifth is really that serious. But, uh, you know, my clear of top four is Harden, Kawhi, Russ, and LeBron. And I'm interested to see how your kind of top four, top five, or even your top three kind of shapes up compared to mine.
1: Yeah. Um, right now I'm in agreement with you that, uh, that Harden's got the top spot. Um, I think that – I'm pretty comfortable with that. Um, then after that, I think we're still with Russell Westbrook. Uh, there needs to be a uh, there needs to be a change in the standings in order for him to be a serious candidate i believe uh, if he can get either a top 4 seed or 50 wins i think that he might have the case to, to charge over what Harden's doing this season uh, i'm looking at their on-off numbers right now for uh, for the thunder and when Russell westbrook is off the floor of the, the uh, thunder get out scored by 10.9 points for 100 possessions when he's on the floor, the Thunder outscore their opponents by 2.7 points. Uh, so we've got a 13.6 swing, and it, with the resume that he's put up, if they can just get the wins, it's going to be really hard to deny him. I think. I don't think they're going to get the wins, but um, you know, it's it's really hard to overlook the kind of season that he's had. And, you know, I've been a hardened guy since the start, uh, but this is a. Uh, this is pretty otherworldly, what, what Russ has been doing this season. And um, once you get beyond that, I think I've got LeBron in three. And that's largely due to the fact that he's been playing like the heaviest minutes of his career since like peak Miami. Mm-hmm. And the the Cavs have actually needed him significantly with the injuries that they've had and the fact that when he's off the floor, they're pretty bad. Uh, when he doesn't play, I think that they're 0. I forget if they're 0 and four, 0 five now, but they just get smashed off the floor by everybody if LeBron doesn't play in a game, and uh, so he's actually been extremely valuable to the Cavaliers' regular season success, and I think that really throws a complicating factor into into this regular season award. Um, you know, and I think he might actually want it this year too which mm-hmm. yeah. is, you know, that, that could make for a pretty interesting final 20 games if he looks at what Harden is doing and what Westbrook is doing and what Kawhi is doing. And uh, he decides that he's going to outdo that. Um, I I think we could be in for a very interesting final month and a half stretch or so out of LeBron if he decides that he's just going to go for it. Um, and then, you know, Kawhi has been... I think his, uh, his quiet nature kind of acts against him. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You made a good point about if the if the Spurs can overtake the Warriors for that number one seed, uh, we may have a serious reshuffling on our hands of who the, the actual MVP is, because, uh, you know, if you look, like you were saying, if you look at the Spurs roster, there's not a whole lot going on, <laughs> but, you know, they're where they are every single year, and that's because Kawhi Leonard has been incredible on both ends.
0: Yeah, and, and something that's really been bothering me recently. Well, something that bothers me. One of my people criticizing Harden is about you know is about you know his teammates and how he's a better team than Westbrook, which I would argue is not the case. Um, but well, that happens a lot with Kawhi. You know they you know he's putting up great numbers in the winning games and they say oh, but it's the Spurs. You know that's what they're going to do. Well, if you look at their team this year, you know Gasol missed a month and he's you know he's an extreme defensive liability. Aldridge has been really struggling. I don't remember the exact numbers, but. Uh, you know, in this past like five or 10 games has been really, really bad. Parker, we know is a shell of himself. Ginobili is a shell of himself. So just saying that it's the Spurs and that that's what they do is, is is really kind of, overlooking and and overshadowing what Kawhi Leonard does and, you know, his quiet nature um, kind of hurts him, I think, in the eyes of the media and kind of, you know, social media and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, his numbers, they're really good and the the advanced metrics are really good, but the traditional numbers are obviously not as eye-popping as Westbrook and Harden, so that obviously hurts him among casual fans. And, you know, I would argue that a good amount of these voters are more like casual fans than, you know, people like us who, you know, spend time looking at the analytics and and stuff like that. Um, So that's another reason why, you know, people like Westbrook will probably gain or, garner more votes than I would think would be, you know, truly deemed uh, worthy, depending on you know where they win. And you know, I, I tweeted out basically that if the Thunder get 50 wins, I, I you know you would I could chalk up MVP for Westbrook, especially looking at it from a voters' perspective. Um, so you know, right now I think the West, uh, the Thunder, after uh, last night's loss, are on pace for under 46 wins. I think they're at 45 and a half. Um, and they've got a couple of tough games coming up this week, so those could, you know, depend their, you know, their fate this season. And you know, I agree if if the Thunder say finish with forty six wins and the Rockets finish with I don't know fifty eight. I mean that's a twelve win difference, and you know you can you'll never convince me any day of the week that the Rockets have twelve more wins worth of talent around Harden than the Thunder do for Westbrook. I think that the Rockets are better suited, built around Harden. You know, more shooters around them, allow them to play make, allow them to drive to the rim, stuff like that. But that's not really a fault of Harden. That's just good GMing from Maury and why we believe he's one of the top candidates for executive of the year. And a lot of other people point to D'Antoni's system, inflating stats. And, you know, Harden was putting up great numbers before D'Antoni and, you know, he he would do it without D'Antoni. But that is an argument that D'Antoni's system does promote offensive stats. But, you know, I I can't accept that as a quality for Harden not winning MVP. Um, And then my other thing that kind of gets me going about this issue, um, I see it a lot on Twitter, kind of people like changing kind of, the goalposts of, of what, what you have to do to win MVP. So, you know, in 2014, 2015, Harden finished second, and he was kind of the Westbrook that year, and Curry was kind of the Harden of this year. Um, you know, Curry, better teammates, kind of, you know, not worse numbers, but not, not as eye-popping numbers as Harden did that year, and yet Curry won pretty comfortably an MVP. Um And then no one really criticized Curry for having better teammates that year. But this year, you know, we've we've got Harden, who people are saying are having a lot better teammates, um, which is why they're winning more games. And then Russ is kind of the Harden with the better numbers, well, the better traditional numbers. I'd say the advanced metrics are basically even. Um, But with the worst team and not winning as many games, um, you know, I'm just seeing that kind of changing of the goalpost that kind of frustrates me about, you know, what does Harden and the Rockets really have to do? Do they have to win 60 games to really... Garner MVP interest, or you know, can they have only fifty-six wins, fifty-seven wins, or fifty-five wins? That kind of changing of the goalposts is kind of, you know, kind of frustrating me, in, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, it's certainly an interesting kind of controversial race. No matter who you talk to about it, almost every day of the week, someone has a new candidate to support and makes a pretty good case about it.
1: Yeah, I think this is the best race in. I don't. I can't say history. Uh, I. I don't know. I haven't looked that far back. But it's definitely the most interesting race in, a, in quite some time. And I do agree with you about the moving of the goalposts as well. Uh, you know, typically speaking, you have to be a top two seed to win the MVP in the first place. So now, docking you points or votes because your team is too good to win MVP. Uh, you know that doesn't work. You got to make up your mind. Like, do you have to have a, a, a big time winning team? Or you just have to be putting up big numbers and being the biggest reason that your team is winning um, and being competitive. Like you know, generally speaking, I think the consideration is the best player on the best team. And when that doesn't work, um, an elite player on a, an elite team. Um, you know, like so it it's hard to, to dock a player now for being an elite player in an elite team just because uh, a player on a, a lesser team is now getting you know brownie points for having a worse team around him. So, you know, you can't have it both ways,
0: basically. Yeah, I agree. And the final thing about the MVP in general, no matter what year it is, is is who you talk to depends on how they view MVP. So you said one of the kind of definitions is best player on the best team. You know, that's oftentimes the case. Other times people think it's basically the most valuable player. Like if you took LeBron off the Cavs, if you took Westbrook off the Thunder, that's what people think, you know, that's most valuable. So kind of depends on who you talk to and how they actually view what MVP truly stands for, Will kind of shape up who they believe is, is the winner this year. But it's certainly going to be a controversial race and something that's really good and a nice, a really good storyline in a year when people are always talking about the inevitability of, of Cleveland Golden State, which isn't you know, necessarily the case with injuries. But, you know, going into the season, it's been nice to have a nice distraction for the MVP race. Um, all right, let's get to our final segment, the rapid fire questions. I've got four of them for you. Kind of just rapid fire um, an answer with maybe a, a quick explanation. You know, we talked about the Spurs and, and Kawhi Leonard's candidacy with catching the number one seed. My question to you is, do you think the Spurs will catch Golden State for the number one seed?
1: I don't think so, but there, I believe, are three head-to-head games between the two teams before the end of the season. Um, those three games are probably going to decide uh, decide what happens uh, I do recall that the Spurs beat the Warriors by like 29 points. I think it was on opening night yeah. at Oracle. Uh, so I feel like the Spurs are going to catch a beating for that. Uh, <laughs> I I just don't think that they're going to catch uh, the Warriors. Although the fact that they've kept it as close as they have has been pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to catch it for you know that reason. And the other reason is that you know I don't. I just don't see Popovich kind of changing his methods. You know, even if they're close. Even if they're, like, one game behind or even a half game behind and they're on a back-to-back, I still don't think that Popovich, you know, will go against his methods and I think he probably would just still rest his players because he knows the playoffs are more important than, than the you know, um, getting the one seed even though that would be important for, you know, home court advantage if they face the Warriors in the, in the conference finals and stuff like that, but... You know, Golden State has been in a slump shooting-wise. Curry and Thompson kind of broke out of it yesterday against the Knicks, but that was also a tough win for them there, and they've lost two straight th- before that. So they've been slumping. I think that they'll figure it out and kind of figure out how to play without Kevin Durant uh, sooner rather than later. And I think that you said there's three uh, head-to-head matchups. I think one or two of those will be comfortable Golden State wins. Um just for kind of that revenge over that opening night blowout and then them figuring out and getting out of their shooting slump. So I have to agree with you. I don't think that the Spurs will catch them for the number one seed. Going to the East, you know, the Celtics are quietly uh, three games behind the Cavs for the number one seed. Do you think that they could catch Cleveland in the East?
1: I think it would take LeBron getting hurt. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty much it. Um, There's, I I think both teams have 20 games to play, um, 20-21 games left. Uh, actually, yeah, the Celtics have 19 games left, and the Cavs have 21 games left. I would say there's no chance.
0: I had a percent chance, maybe. Yeah, I'd give him like a five percent, maybe 10 percent chance, depending on something drastic happening, like an injury or something like that. Uh, I think you would
1: take exactly LeBron James missing most of the final 20 21 games of the season, and like that's never happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, my third question, are, do, do you think there are any coaches on the hot seat? And then a kind of a, a small follow-up is do you think that any should or will be fired?
1: Off the top of my head, for once, I think pretty much every team is fairly secure with their coaching situation. I was forget if it was last year or a couple seasons ago. Uh, by this point in the season, I think like like six coaches have been fired and replaced or something mm-hmm. by this point in the year. Um it was it was a bloodletting of coaches, and I think that at this point, uh, maybe Fred Hoiberg, I guess, is yeah. probably the only guy I can really think of that might be in some serious hot water. And it's kind of a shame because they gave him a disaster of a, of a roster to work around. Um, so, yeah, I guess just Hoiberg. Um, I don't know that the Bulls should fire him because... They are pretty bad when it comes to personnel decisions of any kind. So you might as well just be better off sticking with Hoiberg and, you know, not getting some other Midwest coach that has a scheme that doesn't fit your roster in any way, because no scheme fits that roster.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I have to agree there. I think if anyone would be fired, be Hoiberg kind of as a scapegoat. And I don't think I would necessarily agree with that decision based on the rosters they've given him. Um, before, I think that I had Alvin Gentry on the hot seat earlier in the season when the Pelicans were really struggling. Um, now that they got Cousins, I feel like you just have to give them an, a full season with that you know, new team. And depending on what they do in free agency, um, you have to give them basically another year. And I think Dell Demps also saved his job at the same time. Uh, I also had him on the hot seat, um, but then he pulled off getting DeMarcus Cousins for basically 40 cents on the dollar. So you have to give him another year to kind of build around those two big men. So those are my other candidates, but I think they've pretty much saved their jobs with that trade. Um, yeah. th- you know,
1: they can- I, I agree with that with one caveat. They saved it for this year. Yeah, You know, if, if this isn't a playoff team next year, they're both gone.
0: Oh, abso- absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And the final question, uh, it's kind of technically two, but who is your most surprising team this season and who is your most disappointing team this season?
1: Um, I think that the most surprising team has been probably the Washington Wizards, uh, especially after they started the season like 2-8 and eight or something. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess we could give the Miami Heat honorable mention because they started 10-31 like and 31 mm-hmm. and now they're like just a couple of games back in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to close the deal, uh, whereas Washington's probably going to be a three-seed. So, uh, I'd, I'd say the Wizards are my most surprising team. Uh, the most disappointing team, six weeks ago, I would have gone with the Pistons. Um, at this point, I think the jury is still out on them. Um, I guess the Knicks... I expected them to be not very good, but I didn't expect them to be this bad. I think I had them with uh, 35, 37 wins, and uh, I would kind of be surprised to see them get 35 wins at this point. And uh, I was projecting disappointment in the first place when I <laughs> when I gave them 35 wins. So if they if they underachieve that, you know, if I gave them 35 and they get 34, they had a disaster of a season because I was, I was expecting just a, a really... Ugly, unfortunate, sad season from the Knicks, and they have—they've definitely exceeded my expectations. So, <laughs> give it to the Knicks. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. So for surprising team, I got yeah. I basically have three. I would say the uh, the Wizards and the Heat, and then the Rockets would be my three. I don't know what I don't know what order to put that in. I guess it kind of depends on if you view preseason predictions versus how they actually started so in the case of the Rockets the preseason prediction was you know I think the Vegas over under was 41 but they pretty much got off to a pretty good start from the get-go meanwhile teams like the Wizards and Heat had terrible starts and then completely reversed their season around so there's kind of two ways of thinking about most surprising and then for uh, most disappointing I've, I've got the Knicks there and I think I had the Knicks at like 38 or 39 wins so I wasn't expecting complete disaster but uh, two other teams that have been really disappointing are the Charlotte Hornets, who I thought would be a comfortable playoff team, like a 6 or 7 seed, somewhere in that 40-45 win range. Um, and they've been pretty disappointing as well. And then the Portland Trailblazers. I wasn't super high on them. I had them making the playoffs, but I had them at like, like 40 40. Four wins last, you know, this year. I, I didn't have them at fifty wins like some people did, but you know, the fact that their defense has been so bad and they're still in the outlook, uh, out of the playoffs, looking in. Um, just those two factors, and you know, th- those two teams are probably my most disappointing teams, along with the Knicks, who are almost always disappointing. So you can kind of count them as an automatic selection there.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, I think the Hornets are a really good candidate as well. Um, I had them. I think I had them just on the outside of the playoffs, looking in. But I didn't expect the East to be quite as bad as it's been. Um, I thought a winning record would get you into the into the eight seed pretty comfortably. I thought maybe there'd be like a a winning team on the outside looking into the playoffs. And I don't think that's going to happen this season. Um, so yeah, the Hornets have definitely underachieved significantly compared to what I was expecting.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing about the Hornets is that I'm looking at it. They actually have a positive net rating. Uh, so, you know, they're not getting killed in these games. It's just a couple of, almost seems like a couple of possessions are really just not going their way. And, of course, they've had injuries, especially to Cody Zeller, who I, no one knew was this valuable to their team. Um, but, you know, it's just weird. The, the numbers don't kind of represent a team that's 27 and 35. They Actually, their numbers are closer to, like, a 500 team or a little bit better. But, again, it comes down to a couple of possessions every game pretty much, but yeah um, alright Duncan well, I'd like to thank you for joining the show once again um, before we go I think it'd be great if you could show out, throw out your Twitter handle and then where everyone can find your work
1: sure um, you can find me on Twitter at Duncan Smith MBA uh, my, my writing work can be found at 16 a Ring and at uh, on Piston Powered um, I've got a, an interview with Stanley Johnson that uh, I just posted this morning so um Go uh, go head over to Piston Powered and give that interview with Stanley Johnson to read.
0: Yep, and everyone follow Duncan on Twitter, especially because he does really great breakdowns on uh, Piston's content on a regular basis. Um, all right, everyone take care and have a great week of watching NBA basketball.